And please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 16. We return this morning to pick up again at the 25th verse. We now uh, consider the final in this series of three scenes considered a number of weeks ago, the conversion of that wealthy woman named Lydia. And then two weeks ago, we considered the uh, way in which that slave girl was powerfully set free. And this morning, we come to consider the way in which this Gentile jailer is powerfully saved by the gospel and by the sovereign grace of God. I mentioned to you that this arrangement is intentional, and I will reveal why momentarily. Here we read about Paul and Silas in prison. And we are going to see the way in which the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ powerfully sustained them and powerfully saved the Philippian jailer. Let us seek that the Lord will bless us powerfully as well as we attend to his word this morning. Remember that Paul and Silas were mistreated and imprisoned. And we pick up at verse 25, them at midnight praying and singing to God. So let's give our careful attention to the word of God. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. This is the living and active word of God. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen. This is the word of God. Again, here in our text this morning, Paul and Silas have been misrepresented, mistreated, and imprisoned. It's clear that they were not given a fair trial. It is clear that they were given no opportunity to defend themselves, but instead, through this miscarriage of justice, they were beaten and thrown into prison. Their feet were fastened in the stocks in the inner prison. So in a sense, we could say that Paul and Silas were put on trial. But in another sense, we also need to see that in our text, it is really the gospel that is on trial. Paul and Silas came to Philippi to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. They came to Philippi to declare the way of salvation for sinners lost and alienated from God. 
But then when that message came into conflict with the current customs in Philippi, suddenly the gospel was put on trial. The gospel was put on trial by those who owned the slave girl. When they saw that their hope of gain was gone because of the gospel, they were eager to contain the gospel and to condemn the gospel. The gospel was then put on trial by all of the townspeople in Philippi. When they heard how the gospel conflicted with their current customs, they joined in attacking these preachers of the gospel. And then finally, the gospel was put on trial by the magistrates as well. When they heard how Paul and Silas were disturbing the city and advocating foreign customs, they quickly condemned the gospel. That is why Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten and put into the inner prison. The gospel itself was put on trial and quickly condemned by the slave owners, the townspeople, and all the magistrates. But clearly, the gospel was not given a fair trial. The only testimony that was heard was from the slave owners. And then everybody else heard that original testimony and piled on. <coughs> Paul and Silas were not given any opportunity to defend the gospel. That slave girl who was powerfully set free was given no opportunity to give her testimony. So when the gospel was put on trial and condemned, it was clearly not given a fair trial. Well, that is one of the reasons why we have what is recorded here in our text this morning. You see, in this text, the Lord Jesus Christ himself vindicates the gospel. Even though the gospel received an unfair trial, even though it was condemned in the eyes of all the people, the Lord Jesus allows the gospel to be condemned in order to demonstrate against all odds the power of the gospel. Think of how the slave owners tried to silence the gospel. The townspeople tried to keep the gospel away. Think of how the magistrates determined to hinder any and all progress of the gospel within Philippi. Think of all of those efforts and then what we read about here in the text. Instead of containing the gospel, instead of silencing the gospel, instead of hindering the gospel, all of these in the end are transformed to display the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the end, the gospel is gloriously vindicated. In the end, the good news of Jesus Christ is displayed so publicly and powerfully that it can't be denied. So what did Jesus do when the good news did not get a fair trial? What did he do to vindicate the gospel? How do we see the gospel powerfully displayed? Well, here in the Word of God, we see the gospel vindicated in two very powerful ways. Let's begin with the first. Let's consider first the power of the gospel to sustain. The power of the gospel to sustain. See here how the Word of God sets before us the power of the gospel to sustain his own people. Paul and Silas were misrepresented. Remember how the slave owners masked their true motives and instead misrepresented the truth in order to silence the gospel. Because of their underhanded ways, Paul and Silas were then mistreated. 
They were attacked by the crowds. They were stripped by the magistrates, and they, they were beaten with rods. They were thrown into the inner prison, and their feet were fastened in the stocks. So imagine what that must have been like for Paul and Silas. They have come to Philippi following the call of God upon their lives. They are faithfully fulfilling the ministry to which they are called. And then all of a sudden, they are suffering greatly for their faithfulness. At first, in Philippi, things went really well. The gospel powerfully converted that wealthy woman named Lydia. And then as we go on, we see things are going well again when the good news of Jesus Christ powerfully sets free this slave girl. At first, everything is going so, so very well. But then all of a sudden, things change when the owners of that young woman are upset. Suddenly, everything changes when they disagree with the gospel and attack Paul and Silas. The crowd quickly joined in the attack. And because of that, Paul and Silas are brutally beaten and then locked in the stocks. Just think of how they must have felt when things changed so quickly. Think of how they must have felt when things changed so dramatically. So how did Paul and Silas handle these things? How did they handle that sudden change of events? How did they handle being condemned by the crowds and those many magistrates? How did they handle being beaten and bound? How did they handle all of this affliction knowing that God is the one who is sovereign over all of these events? Well, as you can see here in the text, they handle them really well. And it is as we observe how they handle these things that we see so clearly the power of the gospel to sustain his people. This is how God sustains his people even in affliction. Look at how the text begins again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now the text doesn't say exactly how Paul and Silas were handling these things. We don't know whether they were encouraged at this point or discouraged at this point. We don't know whether they were filled with hope or on the verge of despair. It may have been both. They may have been on a roller coaster of emotions as they considered what was going on in their lives in the sovereignty of God. It was very likely that they were experiencing different highs and lows as they prayed and sang the psalms. We don't know whether they were encouraged or discouraged, whether they were filled with hope or about to despair. But what the text does say so clearly is that Paul and Silas handled their affliction with a Godward posture. They are looking to their sovereign God in their affliction. Their eyes are fixed upon Jesus Christ, and they were living each moment in that prison before the face of God. And in that way, they handled things really well. And what we witness here in the text is the power of the gospel to sustain. How does the gospel of Jesus Christ sustain Paul and Silas in their suffering? Well, here we see Paul and Silas sustained by this powerful communion that they experience with the risen Christ, even though they are in the inner prison. Even though they are in the inner prison with their feet fastened in their stocks, Paul and Silas are powerfully communing with the Lord Jesus. 
even though they are in a most miserable estate. They hear taste of heavenly realities as they talk to Christ in prayer and as they experience his nearness through the singing of the Psalms. The gospel sustains Paul and Silas in prison by blessing them with rich, soul-satisfying communion with the living God. Though their circumstances do not change, they are transformed. Through prayer, they cry out to God. Through the singing of the Psalms, they can see the way in which Jesus has walked this very road before them. Jesus promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we sang from Psalm 40 earlier. That psalm begins, I waited for the Lord. He stooped and heard my cry. He brought me out from a pit, out of the dungeon mire. My feet set on a rock, my footsteps made secure. Perhaps Paul and Silas sang that song. And in singing that psalm, they could sing and meditate upon how the Lord Jesus himself owned those words in his life and in his humiliation. He waited on the Lord. He was the one who cried out to the Father, and the Father heard his cry, stooped, and lifted him up. The Father brought the Son out of the pit, even that pit of the grave. And now his footsteps, the Lord Jesus, his have been made secure. And so in singing this psalm, Paul and Silas can set their eyes upon Christ, knowing that he walked this very road before them. So in their suffering, they now know that they are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in his suffering, and they are being strengthened to endure because of their union with Christ. They know that just as with Jesus, these circumstances are going to work out in one way or another for their deliverance. They are either going to be set free from this prison to continue to seek the glory of God in this world, or they're going to die and go be with Christ. One way or the other, this is going to work out for their great good. Only by living before the face of God, only by handling these things, by looking to God by faith, were Paul and Silas sustained by Christ. And we need to ascribe here all of this to the powerful working of Jesus in the gospel. Paul and Silas are ordinary men. They are like you and me. And so the strength that we see here is the strength of Jesus Christ in them through their union and communion with Christ. So brothers and sisters, do you see the power of the gospel to sustain here in God's word? Do you see here how Jesus gives Paul and Silas himself even while they are fastened in the stocks? Do you see the powerful communion of Jesus in their lives able to strengthen and sustain when they are physically worn out and unable to see any earthly hope? Do you see how God gives to them himself? And as they commune with Christ through prayer and the singing of the Psalms, God powerfully sustains them. Brothers and sisters, this communion is available to each and every one of you. 
And this is the kind of communion that Jesus desires that you enjoy and cultivate each and every day of your life. He wants you to draw near through prayer and through the singing of the Psalms. Through prayer and singing the Psalms individually or with one another. And through the cultivation of this kind of communion, you will be increasingly well-equipped and ready to be sustained by Christ no matter the valleys he walks you through. A dear brother in the Lord was recently in a pit of sorts. And during one of the darkest and deepest points in that pit, all that he could do was pray and sing the psalms. He couldn't continue to give attention to his own thoughts, his own anxieties, his own worries. And at one point, while he was communing with Christ that day, he said to me, people need to learn the psalms before they will need them most. People need to be equipped with the psalms so that they commune with Christ even when they have cancer. At one point that morning, I was in an adjacent room taking care of some other things while this man was singing. And as he was singing the psalms, he would sing a line and he would pause and say, there he is. And then he would sing another line or two and he'd say, there he is again. And he would sing some more and he'd pause and he'd say, there he is. Who is he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. And he was setting his eyes of faith upon Christ who walked this road before him who endured affliction before him. And he was strengthened by the words of Christ with the very words that he needed to offer up from the depths of his own soul. Brothers and sisters, you need the powerful, sustaining grace that comes by this kind of communion with Christ. You may not be in the pit today, but the Lord says that we will be walked through the valley of the shadow of death. There will be many difficulties that attend the Christian life, and so whether you are there now or not, God's word is calling to you to run to Christ and to know this kind of communion with Christ. Here you see in the word of God the means that he gives to strengthen and to sustain his people by personal experiential communion with the risen Christ. Well, we see the power of the gospel to sustain here in our text in another way as well. Look at the effect that this kind of communion has upon Paul and Silas. Not only do we see the power of the gospel in the way in which they are sustained by Christ, but also in the way that it changes these men. What do I mean? Well, just notice what happens in the text next. The text tells us that while Paul and Silas were communing with Christ, this great earthquake occurs and it shakes the foundations. All of the doors are open. Everyone's bonds fall off. The jailer wakes. The prison doors, he sees all the prison doors are open and he assumes that everybody has escaped. Why? Well, because that's a natural thing that anyone would do when they're immediately set free. They would escape. They would preserve self. And so he takes out his sword to take his own life because that's going to happen anyways if all of the prisoners have escaped. And he is about to despair. And right before he takes his own life, the Apostle Paul cries out, Stop! 
We are all here. And so the jailer stops. He calls for the lights. He rushes in and he sees them. Notice that Paul and Silas are unconcerned for themselves. Had they been concerned for themselves, they would have hit the road. They would have fled at the first sign of freedom. But instead, Paul and Silas are powerfully, inexplicably almost, concerned for the jailer. This man may have taken part in their earlier beatings. And he was certainly the one who put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so, somehow, Paul and Silas are unconcerned for themselves, but instead concerned for this man who had mistreated them. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable because each of us, you and me, we are by nature concerned for self. And so when we see this absence of concern for self and instead a sacrificial concern for one who was an enemy, we need to wonder at what can possibly be so powerful to so transform the human heart. What is so powerful? Well, you know the answer. It is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see here in the text that faith in Jesus Christ is what changes the human heart. It is knowing Christ and communing with Christ that takes what would be an ordinary, even reasonable response in hard circumstances and transforms it into an otherworldly response. There must be something behind Paul and Silas's concern for this enemy. Well, there is something behind it. Paul and Silas have been powerfully overwhelmed by and overcome by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul and Silas recognize that they have been loved in this very way by God himself. They were once God's enemies. But because Christ was unconcerned for himself, And because Christ was willing to sacrifice himself, Paul and Silas have now been transformed from enemies of Jesus to some of his closest friends. It was Christ's lack of concern for self and his sacrificial concern for them that now creates the same kind of heart within them. These men are reflecting their Savior. And so we see that the gospel can transform a concern for self into a concern for others that sustains even in the most miserable set of circumstances. And so we need to appreciate what the word of God teaches us here. We need to connect this powerful communion that Paul and Silas experience to the powerful change in concern. That powerful change that frees them from a concern for self to a concern for others. God's word here shows us just what sort of sustaining power is provided to support his people. See here how Paul and Silas keep their eyes on Christ even when misrepresented, mistreated, and beaten and bound. But then notice how they commune with Christ through prayer, through fellowship, and the singing of the psalms. And notice what that communion does. That communion with the risen Christ is so powerful that it completely changes the way in which they live. Paul and Silas could have protected and preserved their own lives. 
but instead they lay them down to bring the gospel to this man who is desperate and about to take his own life. Seeing eternity before them has changed everything. And this is the first way in which Jesus vindicated the gospel. Here he shows how the gospel is powerful to sustain his saints, even in the most difficult trials. But there is still another way in which Jesus vindicates the gospel. So let's go on second to consider the power of the gospel to save. The power of the gospel to save. Craig highlighted this earlier. We sang from Psalm 40. We noted how Paul and Silas drew strength from seeing Christ as that forerunner of their faith in that psalm. But then listen to how the psalm continues. I waited for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That's what plays out in this Philippian prison. The text tells us that all the prison doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer sees the doors open. He despairs of life, almost takes his own life. And at that exact moment, Paul cries out, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And then in what follows, we witness the power of the gospel to save. Usually, jailers were selected because of their experience in battle. These were hardened men. They were strong men, hardened by the harsh realities of war. So these men were chosen because they don't show mercy. They are unmoved by the sufferings of their subjects. But suddenly, this man comes in trembling before Paul and Silas, and he asks a powerful question. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the reason why that question is so powerful is because that question is only asked rightly because of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit within the human heart. And there is so much wrapped up in that man's question. Notice, first of all, that he says, sirs. That is the very same word, or the same word that's in the next sentence. It's in the Greek, the word Lord. And so suddenly, this man has an entirely new orientation to Paul and Silas. Before they are his prisoners, now they are honored with the title of lords. Second, the Philippian jailer asks about salvation. What must I do to be saved? No doubt he has been listening to Paul and Silas. He has heard their conversation, their prayers, and their singing. He has heard of his great need before God. He knows that he is a sinner in need of salvation. He knows that he is guilty before God and that the wages of sin is death. He needs to be saved. And so he asks, what must I do to be saved? Notice the urgency of his question as well. He asks, what must I do to be saved? He is not asking about options. He is not asking for opinions. He now knows his need, and so he is urgent for the answer, what must I do to be saved? In this moment, the jailer knows that if God does not give him what is required, he will be lost forever. And so he is urgent. 
This is not a matter to be considered over some time. This is not an issue to be considered over some days. This is urgent. He sees eternity before him. And because of his sin, he knows he needs to know what must be done. Notice that he recognizes his personal responsibility before God. He asks, what must I do to be saved? Now, he is not asking about works righteousness. He is not seeking the good works that he must do to merit a right standing with God. But neither is he a hyper-Calvinist. He is not saying, well, God is sovereign, and so if he's going to save, he'll save. Or if he's not going to save, he won't save. No, this man, because of his conviction of sin, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart, he recognizes his personal responsibility before God. And so finally, that leaves him in this place of complete abandonment before God. Notice the abandonment found in his question, because he now knows that he is truly and utterly lost before a holy God. He is desperate to know where salvation can be found. Because of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit within his heart and soul, this man must know Humbled before God because of his sin and need, this man is blessed now to become a lowly beggar, completely and utterly abandoned before the mercy of God. That is the power of the gospel at work. These questions are not asked by those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. And this, this powerful question elicits a powerful answer. Paul is eager to declare to him the good news. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. That desperate question rang out in the prison. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then the glorious answer echoes throughout. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Again, the jailer was urgent and humbled, desperate to learn whatever it would take. And Paul's words were like the day breaking upon the darkest night. What must I do to be saved? What must anyone do to be saved? Well, let's examine the words of Paul's answer. The powerful answer begins with that word, believe. What does it mean to believe? Well, it means to trust or to rely upon to believe, to trust, or to rely upon implies that you are trusting or believing or relying upon something or someone. And so Paul is quick to say, believe in the Lord Jesus. And so to be saved, you must believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You must believe what the word of God reveals about him. You must believe that he is God in the flesh. You must believe that he lived a perfect, sinless life. You must believe that he fulfilled all righteousness. You must believe that he laid down his life in order to save sinners. You must believe that he truly died in your place, that he died for your sins, and that he has provided you with his own righteousness so that you can stand before the holy God. You must believe that the Father accepts the work of the Son for your sake as he testified to it by raising Jesus from the dead. You must believe that Jesus is your Savior and that he actually saves. You must believe that your salvation is secure because it's in Christ. 
Notice what Paul does not say. He does not say, believe in the Lord Jesus and yourself. He doesn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus because together you guys can do it. Instead, he says, direct all of your attention to Jesus and you will be saved. He says, entirely give yourself to Jesus Christ. Entirely abandon yourself to him and you will be saved. And note the promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Those are precious words. This is the promise of God, and his promises never fail. The word of God does not say, and you may be saved. It doesn't say, if you, if you figure it out, you might be saved. No, the promise is sure and unshakable. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will. You will be saved. Now notice, too, that the promise is extended to the whole household. What is Paul saying here? Well, he is telling us that the promise is for everyone. Here in these immediate circumstances, it has come powerfully to the Philippian jailer. But that promise doesn't just stand for him. It's for his entire household as well. If they too will only believe in the Lord Jesus, they too will be saved. So here we have God's word testifying to us of this powerful question, this powerful answer. But then finally... This powerful conversion as well. Hearing the glorious simplicity of the gospel, the Philippian jailer believed in the Lord Jesus. Look at the last line of our text this morning. The jailer rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. A miracle has taken place. Earlier in the day, this man was dead. In his trespasses and sins. He was spiritually dead and unable to respond to the gospel. But because of the powerful working of God in the gospel. This man came to know of his desperate state before God. He came to cry out for mercy. And to hear of that salvation that is in Christ alone. And so in these moments this man sprang to new life. He was made alive together with Christ. And because of his new life in Christ. This text is full of evidence of his newfound faith. First of all, we witness the dramatic change of his concern. His concern from this life to the life that is to come. The reason why he was ready to take his own life was because his life in this world was about to be ruined. But then his attention was turned to eternity. His attention was turned to the living God and it changed everything. And in that time, this man goes from despairing of life itself to rejoicing as if he doesn't have another care in the world. Why? Because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because he now sees that he was once destined for wrath, but now the Lord Jesus himself has plucked him out of the fire. And so second, we see his love. Suddenly, this man's heart is full of love for Christ and love for others. He takes Paul and Silas that very hour and he washes their wounds. Earlier, he ignored and he despised these men. But now he loves them and he cares tenderly for them. 
We see that love also in his eagerness to bring the gospel into his own home. Suddenly, a new, earnest desire springs up in his heart. He brings Paul and Silas home so that his whole household will now hear the word of the Lord. We see his hospitality. The jailer took Paul and Silas and not only washed their wounds, but he set food in front of them. And then fifth and finally, we see his joy. Before Paul cried out, that man was ready to take his own life. He was afraid and he had no more reason to live. But then the good news of Jesus Christ invaded his life and it made all of the difference. He went from despairing of life itself to trembling with fear to rejoicing now with his whole household. Why? Because he believed in God. And so we see the power of the gospel to save. We need to remember that the Lord Jesus is the one orchestrating all of these events now to bring the gospel to bear from the depths of an inner prison. And Jesus wants us to see that nothing can contain the power of the gospel. God gave new life to the jailer. God caused that jailer to ask, what must I do to be saved? God blessed that jailer with that powerful answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then in giving new life in that powerful conversion, he believed in God. In terms of this world, the gospel was previously condemned without a fair trial. But the Lord Jesus orchestrated all of those things so that he could show you and me that nothing can contain the power of the gospel. The Lord Jesus here vindicates the gospel by showing that it cannot be bound. And the Lord Jesus has continued to show this faithfully down for the last 2,000 years. And that is why the gospel continues to go forth throughout this world. This morning, the word of God sets before you the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to save to the uttermost and the power of the gospel to sustain in any circumstances. Over the last three weeks, I've mentioned that there's some intentionality here between the three scenes that we have considered. We have watched how the gospel powerfully worked in the life of that wealthy woman in the life of that poor slave girl, and now in this Gentile jailer. What is the intentionality behind the arrangement of the text? Well, at this time, when the book of Acts was written, rabbis would teach Jewish men to pray a certain prayer. And they would say, Thank you, O Lord, that I am not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And here the Lord Jesus enters in from his throne room on high to show that the gospel is powerful to save any and all. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel and no circumstances are too difficult for the gospel. Here the Lord Jesus from his throne room in heaven makes it crystal clear to us all 
that his grace is powerful to save anyone, that his gospel is powerful to sustain everyone. So do you believe in Jesus? Do you know the power of the gospel? Have you been humbled before God by the Holy Spirit's conviction? Have you seen how eternity hangs in the balance? And have you believed upon Christ for your salvation? And are you living in communion with Christ in this powerful way that can sustain you in every set of circumstances? Well, seeing here the power of the gospel... As presented by the word of God, let us beg God to give us a renewed understanding of and appreciation for the good news of Jesus Christ. And may we again be humbled by the grace of God. May he continue to subdue sin in our lives by the power of the gospel. And may he bless us again with the kind of rejoicing that we see here in the text that comes by believing. Let us go to him together in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we are humbled by the good news of Jesus Christ. We were all once your enemies. And had you left us to the desires of our hearts, we would have pursued our own wills right into destruction. And yet, in your eternal love for us, in your eternal plan for the gospel, you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have orchestrated all events to accomplish and to apply salvation to us as your people. And Lord, we pray that once again you would renew our appreciation for and understanding of the gospel that you might humble us before you with a fresh recognition of our sinfulness and our desperate need for forgiveness. But then would you give us that joy that comes in seeing it given to us freely by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we appreciate the kind of communion that you have given to us now in Christ and by way of the Spirit and with and through the Word. And may we be those who are living in this world as citizens of the next, who are delighting now in what will be ours for all eternity. And then will you use us to speak to this world of these unseen realities so that you might be glorified. And so that your kingdom will advance in this world. Thank you again for the gift of your holy word. Please continue to sanctify us and to make us like Christ. As we see Paul and Silas reflecting him in the text. Do this for your name's sake we pray. Amen. Let's take up.